are going to be uh, tonight. We're doing Romans chapter 8. We're finishing chapter 8, and I have us starting in verse 31. I think that's right. We're going to go with that. So, But I have some questions before we get started on that for everybody, and we can kind of start talking about this. Um for those who have kind of been traveling along, this would probably be more relevant to you, but um, I think all of us could answer this, whether we've been studying this for very long or not. But does it, um, I don't know, it's a deep question, so I don't know how if y'all want to ask, but does it change you knowing that the divine lives inside of you? Okay. Um, does that change you? Does it change you knowing that you're loved in that way by the creator of the universe? Any comments, thoughts about that? Makes me stop to think. Huh? Yes. All the time. Mm-hmm. So. As long as I remember that it does. Right. Because <laughs> we just kind of came out of that's what Paul's saying. He's trying to remind us of who we are. Chapter 8, you know, and live by the Spirit. Something's alive in us. Um, so, just a question. I'm trying to clean my house so it'll be fit for God to live in. Okay. Okay. Good. You're being, feeling convicted, huh, on that? Your spiritual house? Your, your spiritual house. house. My, 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 well, the spiritual yeah. house inside my body. Yes. Yes. I want to sweep out all the cobwebs. Yes. Sure. Um, okay, so the kind of leading up question to this chapter or this portion of the chapter is what can separate us from God's love? So, and nothing. So let's just kind of read. Um, we'll look at 31 through 34, and then we'll do 35 through the end of the chapter in a minute. So 31 through 34. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Uh, will God? No. He is the one who has given us right standing with himself, who then will condemn us. Will Christ Jesus? No, for he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God pleading for us. Okay, so today my goal is to finish up chapter 8, move through chapter 9, get through basically chapter 9, and then we'll kind of stop for a couple of weeks. But So I'm going to open up. We're going to have a little, uh, some more time to talk and, and questions because last week we sort of listened a lot. Um, what I wanted to share, but so what, what, what stands out to you? There's two, for me, there's really two great portions of that passage. The first being chapter, being verse 31, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Okay. Meaning we could have all the enemies in the world, right? We could have everybody could be piling up against us, but God is ultimately for us. Even if we've messed up, even if we haven't, you know, lived up to even God's standards, but 
this is a spiritual truth right there, that God is, he is uh, always for us in that way, and he is never, I mean, who can be against us? So it's sort of this pep rally talk that, that Paul's doing. And then the other thing that pops out to me is, uh, uh, again, he talks about in verse 34, who then will condemn us? Will Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus? No, for he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place highest honor next to God pleading for us. Meaning, a lot of times, I really do think at times, religion can like cast uh, Jesus's, a character of Jesus as somebody who is like totally against people, right? Totally uh, not even for his followers a lot of times. Like, you haven't lived up to this, or you haven't done that, or you haven't done that, so God's not for you, Jesus isn't for you? Well, that's not what Scripture says at all. So um, we might find some of Jesus' followers against us, but we're not going to find Jesus Christ against us. Why would he do that if he died for you, you know? So um, anything on those verses? Anything come to mind, thoughts? Anything you've dealt with, wisdom, insight? Do I have anything? Yes. I was just wondering if anyone else had difficulty comprehending God's work that really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do at times, you bet. I don't know if we ever could I don't know if we fully can comprehend. Yeah. Maybe until we get to the promised land, right? So we could say. You have glimpses of it, though. Mm-hmm. Question. Mm-hmm. If God is for us, who can be against us? And, you know, I think the implication there that, and I've heard this before, mm-hmm. is that even Satan, he won't let Satan in. Right. However, yeah. Yeah. he lets Satan enter Job's world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you reconcile mm-hmm. that? Well, um, <laughs> different ways, because Satan in the Bible is, in, is different in a lot of different stories. So that's a whole nother Bible study probably for some of us, but the Satan in one area is not the Satan in another area. Um, uh, the Satan in Job is a, is an, is the antagonist in the story. Um, the Satan in Revelation is uh, uh, like almost personified, you know, um, just like uh, the snake in the garden, or the serpent in the garden. Um, So we'd have to do a bigger study than that. Um, I say that because I spent an entire semester studying Job in seminary. (laughs) And I got like that thick of notes on Job, which, so there's so much. And again, some of that, y'all, I mean, I could say this because we're in a Methodist church, but some of that has to do with um, the way that the Hebrew people wrote stories. Job um, being a great narrative and um, not so much only just a literal story because Satan was very different in Job. I mean, we don't see Satan like that ever again, do you? I mean, you just don't see that, you know, where God's advising and telling Satan to go do something to somebody. So different. So, um, yeah. That is the way that was depicted when Jesus was sent out for 40 days and was different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different. 
Totally different. That's right. Totally different. Um, so you can go and have a study of the character Satan or the devil, or and you can see different, you know, deals in them. Yes. Mm -hmm. Actually, the devil tempted Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if he can tempt Jesus, he can tempt Job. He can do that. Well, yeah, and he can tempt us, right? The one thing that I thought was interesting to think about, we were talking about the other day, I don't know, randomly I was thinking about it, was because I had somebody ask me one time, and I did some studying on it, and I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I could ask you all the question. Um, do you think Satan can read your thoughts? Do you think he's powerful enough to do that? Actually, he's not. only person that can read your thoughts is God. So sometimes we attribute way too much to Satan. I think we give too much power to Satan personally. That's just my thing. But again, that's for a whole other conversation too. But yes, ma'am. Well, I'm thinking about Nancy's question. But yeah. On verse 35, Great question too. Separate us from the love of Christ. I yeah. Permanent separation. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Or we can let Satan in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's really that. Yeah, that's the Job story ultimately, right? He ultimately doesn't destroy Job. Now we can look at all the horrible stuff that happened around Job and go, well, that wasn't fair for Job's kids, or you know. But again, that's sort of the world we live in is unfair um, on certain things, but. Yeah, that Job's a fun book to study. It's really deep, and it has some really good stuff. And a lot of times, you have to really look at it as a very a narrative. What's the narrative trying to teach us about God? Not so much literally reading everything, but and the study about Satan and the devil and and things like that is also well, a lot of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, God ultimately created that angel, the fallen angel of Satan. So okay, that, mm -hmm. that is um, the Satan that you see in, or you see in Revelation. You see some of that in Revelation being thrown into the fire. Um, but you, that's, it's, it's not always the same person in Job. It's just a different character. It's a different, anyway, I can't get into all that because I don't have all my notes, but it's just different. <laughs> and I hate to say that because everybody's like, oh, no, you just threw the wheels off of everything. But it's just different. It's just a different character because the Satan that we tend to think is, is the all-out evil is the fallen angel. And um, that's a little bit different than the, the Nancy's brings up a great point about the Satan and Job, but it's this, it's the accuser, like the, ten, like not the tempter side, it's just like the accuser, the agitator, Two, a different word, totally used for, anyway, it's very strange, so a lot of studying in that one. But what so. we can agree on is that we can. a lot of evil in the world that we can, God. yes, and yes, yes. This, this mm -hmm. is a Mm -hmm. Correct. Correct. And so, um, 
ultimately God allows evil to happen. God created, um, well, Lucifer who became Satan, right? So it, but you see different characters of all that. I'd be, that might be an interesting study. You see a lot of different characters of Satan playing out. Like the Antichrist in Revelation is not Satan. The Antichrist is the Antichrist, so it's a different thing. So anyway, there's a couple of them. Anyway, lots, lots of fun stuff. Good conversation later on that stuff. Um, okay, but great words from Paul because this is a deep understanding from a man who is totally converted, right? In an amazing way, he had this experience with Christ, totally, I mean, he... You know, he was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians. And, and, you know, Jesus was like, wow, you know, came into his life a total transformation. And so he's saying, hey, who can be against us? You know, Christ is for us. So that's a, it's a powerful statement from a man who is against Christians. So, Okay, third, verse 35 through 39. Uh, can any, anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he had, no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death, even the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Or yours might say we are more than conquerors um, in some form or fashion. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death cannot and life cannot. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today are our worries about tomorrow and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away, whether... Uh, we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, some, some of the most beautiful parts of, a, of Scripture right there. Um, and Because um, Paul, this is an experience. He just, he just knows Jesus. He's... He's met Jesus. He continues to experience Jesus. He's had so much calamity in his life. He's had so much bad come into his life, so much danger come into his life. And he's like, listen, you know, that just is pales in comparison. He says that in other scriptures, that pales in comparison to the joy I find in Christ. And so he's like, Jesus is always there with me. You know, Jesus is always there with me. So, yes. Uh-huh. What are we talking about? Yeah, I, I think all our definitions of demons. <laughs> no, but I mean, it is. I mean, it could be, you know, the, the, the Lucifer's fallen angels that kind of hung out, are hanging out with him, uh, our personal demons, you know, that we have that um, could be, you know, scars or, or hurt or, you know, um, addictions, things like that. So all, I think all of those can be wrapped up into the demon thing. So I'm just maybe liberally using that, but you can look through Scripture and you can find that and valid. Yes? My translation says the Greek there is actually rulers. Rulers? Wow. That's cool too, isn't it? Hmm. Instead of demons? Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. Because he's, uh, you know, Paul was, uh, like I said, I guess last week we were talking about that um, sin was actually a state, almost a, um, like, almost like a government of um, something that, and that's kind of that ruler thing. You know, it's like, kind of goes with what Agnes was saying. It's like this, you know, who created evil, but evil exists. Like, evil is out there. So. And it, it is not a friend of God or us. So, it's the lion that wants to eat us. So, and sometimes we get too close to it, and it does. Um, I... A question that popped into my head on this, and I don't know if this is... Some of these questions are so deep, I just don't know where we'd go with some of them. We'll see. But have you ever experienced the shift? Because this is kind of at the end of, I think, for, for Paul and some stuff, in this argument, and he's sort of wrapping up the whole, you know, we don't have to hear about the law anymore and, you know, and different things. Uh, but have you ever experienced the shift from the law to personal response as being your relationship with Jesus or God, your relationship with God. See, that's a big shift. Experiencing moving from the law and following everything or trying to follow to it's now a personal response. And if you personally can response, live in love, like if you've been married or you've been in a relationship before, you know, there's a lot of, you can't always get it right, can you? Because you're in a love relationship with somebody. You don't always hear them exactly right. You don't always respond to them exactly right. But you're trying to respond to your mate or to your child or to somebody you're close to. And that's, you know, but once you've moved from, hey, it's all about duty to this personal response, that's a big shift for a lot of people. Big shift. I don't know. Does anybody have any stories about that in their life or thoughts you want to share? You don't have to. Just a question that popped in my head. So, Okay. All right. Let's go to uh, verse 1 of chapter 9. Maybe we'll get through chapter 9 tonight. That'd be great. Let's look at... Let's see... Go through verse 9 for right now. In the presence of Christ, I speak with utter truthfulness. I do not lie, and my conscience of the Holy Spirit confirm that what I am saying is true. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's special children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave his law to them. They have the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Their ancestors were great people of God, and Christ himself was a Jew as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is, he is God. He rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. I'm going to stop there because there's an amen. That helped. Um, <laughs> so here's Paul. He, he's saying, you know, verse 2, he says, They've missed it. 
my heart feels great bitter and sorrow and unending grief for my people because my brothers and sisters, because Paul is a Jew, they just missed it. You know, they're cut off. They, they missed the idea that faith is all they needed. Now, God, again, the law, God was, gave the law to the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, so that they could know where they've missed it. But ultimately, they missed the bigger picture, and he gets into that here in a moment as he brings Abraham back into this. But he just, they've missed it. And he literally, that's a crazy thing to say that he, um, if he, he'd be ever cursed and cut off for Christ if it would save them. And so the one thing I've always heard, and I, and I think it's totally true, and I've experienced in my life over and over and over again, is Paul has a burden for the Jews, but ministry is born out of burdens. You know, think about the burdens that you had in your life. Maybe if you're involved in the ministry, um, you feel a burden. So what are your burdens? Like, what are the things that you just have a burden for that you're carrying? And how do your strengths fit with your burdens? Often that brings you into where your ministry is. That fits you in there. And so um, that's what I've heard, and I, and I believe it. Um, it's why I'm, I think I'm a United Methodist pastor, why I went into the ministry I uh, felt called to go into the ministry, into youth ministry, right off the, the bat in the ministry, and then stayed in the United Methodist Church, because I had a decision, you know, where was I going to go? All my buddies, I've told you all this before, all my buddies were going to be Baptist ministers, because, you know, being a football player at, at Baylor, it was like everybody's Baptist, you know? And, uh, and again, my mentor, uh, John McKellar, my former boss at Wise Chapel, and he said, hey, Go figure it out for yourself. You know, what's your theology? I said, I went off and thought thought through that and contrast some things and compared some things and really understood who I was and said the Wesleyan understanding of theology is much more in line where I am. And and then he said, well, he said, what's your reservation? You know, what's your issue? He said, and I said, when I was a kid at White, I grew up at White Chapel. When I was a teenager at White Chapel, I never really heard, you know, Jesus loves you, and he, he doesn't need you to be a good person. He needs you to know him, you know, and he wants to know you in a personal way. Um, and that, for me, was huge because I heard that at FCA camp in Estes Park, Colorado, my freshman year in high school. I didn't hear it from my church ever. And that bothered me, and I was like, you know, I think a lot of Methodist churches just missed the boat, you know, on a lot of stuff because they were so academic. A lot of Methodism, Methodism, United Methodists went through this big academic thing. I don't know if y'all remember. You've lived through that probably, but um, and uh, even some of like the clergy, it was like they were so academic. They're like, "Well, the resurrection isn't even real." I'm like, "Good gosh! I mean, how can you call yourself a Methodist minister if you don't believe that?" But anyway, um, that the resurrection is not real, but. Uh, it, it, all that stuff, I almost want to say, forget it. And, and my mentor, John, he said, come help me fix it. So that was a burden that I had that I wanted all young people to be able to hear that one thing. 
Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to know you personally, and you can know him, God personally. That, that's, what I, that's all that my calling was, and I wanted every teenager to know that and ultimately every person to know that and minister out of that. Now my identity as a pastor has grown since that burden, but that was the burden that got me into it. Um, so where are your burdens, you know? Where are your burdens? Where do you feel burdens, and how do your strengths and um, your call or come together? I'm sure they did, <laughs> but I was a kid. You know, I don't know if you have boys or maybe it was just me, but um, I don't think I remember anything until I was like 11 years old as a boy. I don't know. Like my wife, she can remember her phone number from when she was two, you know? I was like, I think I was just cared about sports and having fun. I mean, I don't know, you know? I don't know. I see that in my sons a little bit, you know? I'm like... Jillian really cares about a lot of stuff, and then my boys, eh, whatever, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. So I have to claim I was that way, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I just wouldn't. It's true though. Jesus loves me. I mean, how beautiful is that, right? But. Part of that, of course, is my human responsibility that I didn't hear certain things. But anyway. anybody have any thoughts of that? Okay, if you do, pipe in. No, uh, verse four, of course, uh, they are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's special children. Well, here's they have this past identity; they are God's chosen people, um, but they were they were for no reason God's chosen people it's not like they earned it he just said i want you to be my special people i want to make covenants with you and and uh christ in verse 5 he says hey christ identifies himself as a jew he did he was a jew and so i'm not jew bashing basically uh i'm sure he's fighting against that he's just bringing christ in the argument he says he's god i mean christ is god himself and christ was a jew so, but um, there's a burden for them because he, they have not, they've cast off the faith side of things and, and been more about the rules and the laws and the ways of uh, what humans kind of came up with in light of God's laws. So, so verse 6 through 9, let's just look at that. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to the Jews? no. For not everyone born to a Jewish family is truly a Jew. Just the fact that they are descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too, this means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. This is the children of the promise who are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. So, God won't redeem all Jews because they ultimately don't have faith. It wasn't just about faith. Um, and it wasn't faith in Jesus because there was no Jesus to, to know at that time. There was Jesus, but they didn't know him um, in that way that we know him. And so when he says, hey, you know, has he failed in his promises? Has he just abandoned his covenants? Paul's like, no, he hasn't. He hasn't done that. From the beginning, it's always been, you know, Abraham has found righteousness through faith. 
And so not just because you're born in, you know, just because you're American, you know, right? Same thing. Just because you were born into a church, it's a very serious issue. That's why we've revamped the confirmation model. I've created a new confirmation model after doing it for 19 years of my ministry. Um, sometimes confirmation became a, like this rites of passage thing that you just did, and then you never saw the kids again, you know? And Yeah, and their families just felt like, well, they're saved. I mean, I use saved loosely, but I mean... You know, they're okay with God now that they've been con through confirmation. And I'm like, no, they're not integrated in the life of the church. And we teach now, we teach uh, each young person in our church how to write their own faith story. Now, their faith story is how to write their own faith story and how to communicate it. And if they don't have a faith story, then we're going to say, are you sure this is the time for you to do this? You know? Now, their face story is going to be real simplistic compared to my face story, your face story. So uh, it's not a judgmental thing of people's face story. I mean, our face stories when we're 12 or 11 are way different than our face stories now, you know. And, but to articulate your faith is very important. And so um, it's the same thing. That's how, I, that's how I put these two together for me. So, yes, Don? Curious because he... Mm -hmm. Gets into this uh, ancestry, mm -hmm. Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac was the son that was the yes chosen chosen one. Mm -hmm. But there were other children, mm -hmm. Abraham. Yep. And if you look at the Muslim religion, they trace their roots back. Yes, they to do. As well. Yes, they do. Ishmael, mm -hmm. who was the son from another. Yep. That's wife. right. That's right. Yep. So what saves people? Yeah. <laughs> Not that they're born of Isaac or Ishmael or whoever. That's do they do they have a relationship with the Lord? You know, relationship with God in, in um, a way that really is, I think, transformative in their life. So, um, so that's why he says not all Jews are gonna be a part of the deal. You know. I think you could broaden that and just say not all people are going to be a part of the deal. Now, I think there's going to be a whole lot of people a part of the deal that some people don't think are going to be a part of the party. <laughs> You're going to be very surprised when you see them up there, but um, or wherever heaven is. So, uh, but a true Jew is still about faith, you know. And, and so, and to, and I sort of sidestepped the whole like Ishmael thing or, you know, who God loves and who God doesn't love and, you know, all that stuff um, on this deal. And we, why don't we read that because he gets into a little bit. This son was our ancestor, Isaac. When he grew up, he married Rebecca, who gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message proves that God chooses according to his own plan, not according to our good or bad works. She was told, the descendants of your older son will serve the descendants of your younger son. In the words of the scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Okay, so um, that's pretty weird. Right? For a God who loves everybody and nothing can separate us from God, and then he rejects Esau, right? 
Um, does that seem fair? Hmm? No. Does it? Doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, he had to populate Samaria, so... <laughs> he had to push them off to another land. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Depends on how you read Scripture. Get myself into a little trouble if you read Scripture in a way that's more of a narrative. Um, you might think, eh, it's kind of one-sided right there, isn't it? I mean, why wouldn't it? they want to share that uh, all their descendants were the loved ones and all the other ones were the bad ones, you know what I mean? So not saying that's, the, that's how I read it, but some people could read it that way. I, here's the deal uh, that I wanted to bring up about that, though, is... Um, A.W. Tozer has a great quote. He says, um, he was pastor and author, and many of you might know his writings. Uh, he says, man's will is free because God is sovereign. A God less than sovereign could not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures. He would be afraid to do so. Let me just read that again. Man's will is free because God is sovereign. A God less sovereign could not bestow moral freedom, our, our right to choose whether to reject him or not or do what we want to do upon his creatures. He would be afraid to do so. Um, but freedom and sovereignty of God is a part of, I think, verse 11, okay? But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message. So God's free to do whatever God wants to do, okay? I'm not going to judge God. Um, he's sovereign, um, and if God were less than free, then he would be less than sovereign. And he's free to do whatever he wants to do, and he's also sovereign. He's, all, he's in charge of everything. He's all-powerful. He's, you know, God's eternal, but God is also personal, um, and that's sort of what verse 14 and 15 is. What can we say? Was God being unfair? That was your question. Of course not. God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So God is sovereign, and God is free, and I am not God. So I am not going to go there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, I think it's, and we don't talk about the sovereignty of God all the time, but that is an important subject to know that he really is sovereign. Now, I'm not going to try to figure all the time out, you know, why maybe there's some favor over here or over there. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. Maybe some monk put that in there because he wanted everybody to love the Jews more. I, I mean, I don't know, you know. Um, I, I, God does what God wants to do on that stuff. Um, and it seems, I don't know if it's out of character, because when you study the New the Old Testament, um, the way God related to his people, his chosen people, is very different than the way Christ relates to us. And, and I mean, it's just different. I'm preaching on that a little bit this, this uh, week as well, talking about the Shekinah glory. Has anybody ever heard of the Shekinah glory? So I'm going to get into that, yeah. Um, which is like, wow, you know, a lot of people don't talk about that, but 
in the Old Testament, and you get to hear this again on Sunday if you come, but in the Old Testament, Shekinah glory basically was this pillar of fire. It was the power that came with the Ark and the Holy of Holies. It was sort of this personal, this manifestation of God in those ways. Well, in the New Testament, the, the Shekinah glory becomes Jesus Christ living in you. You are the container of the glory of God, which is awesome to think about. Um, actually goes with that first question we talked about. There'll be more on that on Sunday, but that's, I just don't, I don't know. He's all powerful, but he's eternal and he's personal. You know, he wants to know us. And so there's some stuff we could flesh out there. We're not going to do it tonight, I don't think. Because, um, you know, Paul, but that's kind of what Job said at the end, right? He's like, well, you know. He's yelling at God, and God said, well, where were you when I created the stars and the skies and the sea? And kind of, I wasn't there, God, so I'll just be quiet, you know? Okay. Yes. If he says, show mercy and compassion to anyone who chooses, Mm -hmm. by implication, does that mean there's somebody who's not going to choose? Maybe so. Maybe... Maybe those. I would say if, okay, so if, since I'm not a literalist when I read scripture from the standpoint of you have to put all scripture in context, personally, what would it tell us about who does God show mercy to and who does God not show mercy to, right? Who does Jesus show mercy to and who doesn't Jesus? I mean, so that's how I would answer that. I don't think he's going to show mercy to some people who choose not to have it, you know? So um, if you just reject, you're so arrogant, and it's all the people that Jesus dealt with, all the Pharisees, so arrogant they miss the person they've been waiting for, right? Um, But it was all about power for them. So... um, and, and that's a quote of, what's that a quote of? Uh, y'all have it referenced to. Um, Malachi and Exodus, kind of all combined in there. Yeah, okay, Exodus thirty three nineteen. So I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So, um, Mark, yeah. Mark, yeah. He sure shows mercy to all those people who truly believe. Mm-hmm. He can look inside you and know if you truly believe. Sure. Other people can. Right. Right. That's right. But he can. I believe that. That's true. Well, that's good. I like that. And it's not because you work for it. Yeah. Right. And so that's that gives the sovereign. That's the that's the sovereignty of God. The freedom He has. You know, um, it's not about. An earthly measurement, you know, that, oh, you've lived up to this, so you get to get the mercy. It's um, your heart. You might, you might need mercy because you've asked God for it in your heart, and even though your life is a complete in shambles by your own doing, perhaps even. So, okay, 16 through 18. So receiving God's promise is not up to us. We can't get it by choosing it or working hard for it. 
God will show mercy to anyone he chooses. So that kind of, I mean, again, what we were just talking about. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and so that my fame might spread throughout the earth. So you see, God shows mercy to some just because he wants to and he chooses to make some people refuse to listen. Wow, that's big too, isn't it? So here's my question as I read that to you. Do you have a problem with God who's free and powerful and can do what he wants? That's pretty, that's pretty, that's an interesting deal, you know. He's free to do what he wants. He's all powerful. Is that a problem for you? My translation actually says um, he chooses to harden the hearts of others. Correct. Listen. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is. Mm-hmm. I think we're just the question like to me arises because what do we do with the scripture that's right there? And so that question arises to me, well, if God can do what he wants to do, is that a problem for us? I mean it it could be a problem for us, you know. Um, you know. <laughs> so uh, yes. In the Sure. 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 So God was going to use it more and more. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yet, if you look around in society, you mm-hmm. see that existing. You do. So maybe that's the I don't know. The explanation that God's doing it. Yeah. 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 What did he do? He didn't get chosen. But you know what? Esau probably could have responded to the whole thing a lot different too. And then maybe we'd have a different story written about Esau, perhaps. Uh, but Jim, was your question so, that, or your comment? His was, comment was that God maybe be doing that. Yeah, I mean, I just I think hardened hearts. You've probably y'all have heard me say it before. I just think hardened hearts is the constant total. It's it's the multi multitude of times that you reject and you just don't listen and i think at some point in time gosh i I mean i wouldn't know when that is for some people but that is a scary thought but at some point in time they just don't want to listen anymore you know i don't know that's scary yes well a rich young ruler rich young ruler that's right Mm -hmm. not Not at that moment anyway I always wonder about Rich Young Ruler. I wonder if he ever became a follower of Jesus. We never heard about him later on, did we? Probably could have happened. Maybe not. Yes? Um, my version on 16 says, mm-hmm. it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort. I understand the okay. effort part of that, but if man desires, 
Right. Is. Does that mm -hmm. not have any impact on God. God's mercy? But sure. The only reason man desires it is because God gave him the desire. Mm -hmm. I, th I mean, you're, the desire part could be not in a good way, like, you know, like we should desire to know Christ. The reason you desire. Is that but the reason maybe, like, you desire because you want to do whatever the heck you want to do and you don't really care about, you just want favor from God. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, that could be a, that's good stuff. I mean, in, in some of the different versions, um, probably show us that there's been some struggle with this, <laughs> you know, and it as well. So, it does. Mm -hmm. It's not through your effort. Right. Yeah. I have a question on 18. Mm-hmm. To harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen or because they refuse to listen? I know. I, it's... I still think because, but that's... I'm trying to put it in the context of all Scripture. But God shows mercy to some just because he wants to is what mine says. I mean, y'all, we got a ton of other versions out there. Um, he chooses to make some people refuse to listen. I mean, that's what mine... Again, this is a paraphrase, not a paraphrase, but a little bit more of a paraphrase. So we might just argue all together with the translation that... Yeah. NIV makes that so. sound pretty easy. I mean, it doesn't make it... Sound as bad? No, it makes it less easy. Yeah, so what does that NIV say? Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he pardons whom he wants to pardon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar, but anyway, it's a yeah. But it's just less confusing. Next, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I think there you could you could do a you could do a study on that, and you could probably find that to be true in some things. I don't. I mean, I, I don't want to be a judge, but I think that we could find some stories where God literally would go, every single time I'm going to give him a chance, that person is not going to listen to me. And so ultimately, you look back and go, did God ultimately just harden? Huh? He knew all along, and he just anyway he used, and thus he used Pharaoh. I mean, come on, Pharaoh saw all those miracles, and he. Anyway, you know, it's one of those things. So, this is a long line of yeah. comment on this. Mm -hmm. For God, time is a different concept than it is for us. That's a good point. For example, point. Esau, he, he knew before Esau was born that he was going to reject He was going to reject something. Well, mm -hmm. is, is that because he already knew what was going to happen down the road? Mm -hmm. Esau had, let's say, free choice, and he may have done something, or God mm -hmm. may have do something that would yeah. reject him. So, Mm -hmm. But that's the timing of that's just completely alien to our concept. Of it is, it is, and it's hard for us to comprehend. Much like the true love of God is hard to comprehend. How's that predestination? Well, ultimately, ultimately knowing. 
Yeah, ultimately, no, well, that's where you're. That's what we're fighting against right here in different translations. We're fighting against the predestination thing a little yeah. bit because knowing that somebody's going to do something and then causing it, you know, or. Uh, but I think causing somebody to have a hardened heart, I'm wondering. I mean, I've seen people with hardened hearts that have um, had them softened. So it's not forever type thing. And I mean, I could throw this in there too. Is there a po post mortem decision you get? Um, don't play. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you revelation people out there <laughs> studying revelation. Doesn't say anywhere there isn't one. <laughs> Letting y'all know that. See, now your pastor's freaking y'all out, isn't he? <laughs> I read a whole book on that, actually, in the seminary. And it was at the Baylor Seminary. It wasn't at the TCU Seminary. <laughs> TCU Seminary is a little bit more liberal than the Baylor Seminary. So. Somebody had their hand up? Oh, or I was comment? We do, These yeah. people had been hearing God's commands, supposedly. For a long you know, time. The Ten Commandments, mm -hmm. Micah 6, 8, you know, a lot of different ways that people were supposed to be living. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, yeah, and even that's good. And even though they might not have been literate, mm -hmm. they, uh, they knew God was trying to work in their life, right? They were supposed to walk humbly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. So let me refocus this on the God in a, not a, well, I don't know, good way, I guess, but I mean, in a way that maybe we can or should understand. So you have this issue with God's sovereignty and God's freedom and God can do this and God can, you know, we don't want God to do that. And how do we deal with things that sound like they're out of character to God and I, I just wrote down, uh, God is not confined at all, but he can confine himself in us. And that's pretty cool right there, isn't it? So God's not confined at all to anything, but God will confine himself and does in us through the Holy Spirit. And that's just cool to think about for me. So, and a good reference, anyway, so that's just a neat, that's a neat deal. So. Amen. Period. And I'm glad it's not me and y'all, because we'd probably mess something up, wouldn't we? Even though we had the greatest intentions. So, okay. Um, verse, let's just read. Yeah, verse 19. I was trying to see if we wanted to read through the whole thing and say we're done with... <laughs> Ah, we'll just read and we'll stop when I feel like it. How about that? Um, well, then, you might say, why does God blame people for not listening? Haven't they simply done what he made them do? Oh, that's a good No! Don't say that, Paul says. Who are you, a mere human being, to criticize God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who made it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars of, out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? 
God has every right to exercise his judgment and his power, but he also has the right to be the very patient with those who are, who are objects of his judgment and are fit only for destruction. He also has the right to pour out the riches of his glory upon those he prepared to be the objects of his mercy, even upon us whom he selected, both for them the Jew and from the Gentiles. Well, let's just kind of utilize those, look at that, and wrap it up. So, um, the first, why does God blame people? I mean, how? why does God blame people for not listening? I mean, that's a great question. Well, no, Paul says, no, he doesn't. Um, and we just kind of came through talking about that. Um, I think... Um, God has the choice to do what God wants to do. And again, it gets me back to my one of those questions, do we have a problem with a free and sovereign God? And that's just kind of a sometimes a creepy thing for us because we want to know everything. We want to control everything. I don't know. I mean, it's a, again, for me, it, it's not so much, I don't think it's control all the time and know everything. It is know a lot of times, but... Uh, has a lot to do with, it just seems out of character, you know, from who Jesus was uh, when Paul is using this as an argument. So um, I wish I had Paul sitting here. I could ask him. He'd probably clarify a little bit better for our Western brains, you know. He's not from the Western world. We see things differently. We still, I mean, that's why we're doing Bible study. But there's a lot of stuff. It's like, He's just trying to say, listen, you know, we can't question God. God does what God wants to do, and sometimes we don't see value in it, but he sees value in it. So. I wonder if people have had their hearts hardened ultimately, and God utilizes to bring something of wandering life into other people's lives through that. Do those people get the opportunity to be in God's presence for the rest of Eternity? People with the hardened hearts? Yeah, that God uses. There's a question, and I don't have the answer. No, I, I don't really. If he wants to. There you go. That's, that'd probably be the answer if he wants to. Huh? It's his choice. Yeah. Right. Well, we don't. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we're talking through it, you know. But, you know, it's interesting to think about if he's hardened their heart and he's used them. So what he so technically Jesus says, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. To me, the word he uses for perfect is if you're a hammer and you hammer a nail, then you're perfect. Right. So those people were perfect in what they were supposed to be used for. But they didn't know it. <laughs> I know, but I don't know. I mean, well, that's the question is, how do you know if you're selected? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you think like me and look like me, Don, you're selected. <laughs> so a lot of you guys are out of luck. Just kidding. <laughs> that's how some people would approach it, right? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Um, Don wants to know if Pharaoh's going to be 
Yeah. But, oh, yeah, I think Judas will be in heaven no problem, personally. But but I, I think Judas will be, but I'm not the one to, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not the judge, so. Um, there's must have been a lot of remorse when you're emotionally. I just think when you are emotionally in a place where you will kill yourself, I don't think there's anything closer to God. God I mean, a, a heavenly loving father will want to be with somebody in such pain that they would take their own life. That's you're just my personal on that because you have to get into the motivation you know. that Judas had. Yeah, I mean, don't really know. right, right. He could have had faith in Christ. He just had a different motivation for, you know, I don't know. That's what I think. I, I think that we sometimes judge Judas a little hard, even though he was he was an instrument. Somebody would have betrayed Jesus in some form or fashion to make that all go. Um, he just was easier to get to than some of the other ones. I don't think so for Judas. I just don't see that in him. Mm -mm. I don't see him. Christ mm. knew he was going to do that way ahead. Yeah, he did. He did. So I don't, but I don't see a hard, I've never saw, I, but again, that's personal looking at, I just have never seen a hardened heart from Judas. I just think his, he just was a human that just didn't get it. But his disciples didn't get it. The other ones. I've actually been in studies where uh, this was studied, mm -hmm. and, and some people believe that Judas did that because he wanted Christ to be able to take up the sword. Right, he did. And become the disciple. Right. Okay. He wanted to prompt. He didn't understand. That's the typical understanding. Yeah, he just didn't understand. But Peter didn't understand either. He, <laughs> and he did and, take up the sword. Yeah, later on, right? <laughs> later on, after. Jesus actually came and forgave him through, you know, he asked him three times, right? So I don't know. It's interesting, the interesting question. I mean, to continue to talk about. So. Yeah, who was worse, Peter or Judas? <laughs> Judas didn't deny him three times. No, he did not. <laughs> Never denied him, actually. He just was trying to prompt him to do something. Where does grace come in all of this? That's. I mean, ultimately, where I would say God has an amazing amount of grace. That's why I thought he, I think he has an amazing amount of grace for Judas. So that'd be my personal opinion in that. So. Well, if it wasn't for Judas, we wouldn't have Christ. That's right. We wouldn't have had a crucified Christ, maybe. Huh? He probably would have raised somebody else up. But yeah, grace comes in where Paul says, God, it's not about, well, depending on your version again, but. It's not about earning it, and it's not about just trying to do everything right. It's about, you know, or working hard for it. It's, it's God's, by God's grace, we are all forgiven, you know. So uh, there's a lot more to this, too, that we could talk for, like, hours about. That's right. That could be a true statement. Not going to get into that tonight. You don't have time. I don't have time. But it very is it's true. He could choose not in some, and he could choose for others. Are we in this study to leave with more questions? Yes. How I handle these 
strange, ambiguous parts of scripture is I like to leave you with more questions. Because, yeah, I know. Let's do it. I like it. I just won't have the answers for you all the time. There's just sometimes I'm not going to speak for God, and I just don't. I mean, maybe as much as I've studied, I just don't know on certain things. I think, again, why I think, Paul, if you just took this little portion of Scripture that we are looking at, if we just, chapter 9, um, the Jewish people thought it was all, they thought they had it down. They followed these little laws. God loved them, or they were called Jews because they were born into a tribe. Everything was great. That was their relationship with God, perfect, right? And Paul says, that's not the case, and I have this heavy burden for them, and I wish they would understand that's not the case because ultimately God chooses whom God wants to choose, and it's not about your birthright. It's about, I think, you have to throw Jesus in there. You have to throw all the other scripture in there and say it's about a relationship with God and not allowing your hearts to be hardened you have a choice in that or not. And ultimately, that's who God shows mercy on. And we kind of got into that down here, is that who did God um, select? We heard it before from Paul. God sele- Technically, God selects and predestines all of those who have faith in God. And we all have faith in God, actually. Have y'all... y'all we catch ourselves, we're kind of off a little bit. Sometimes we say, well, we have faith in Jesus. Well, you have faith in God through Jesus Christ, right? So um, like a Jew, a faithful Jew had faith in God, right? That's what we have. We have faith in God through Jesus Christ, though, for us. Because, but they didn't have Jesus. So, But they have the exact same thing for those who are faithful, faith in God um, through relationship that they had as his chosen people. And then we have faith in God through Jesus. And so thus are all the predestined, elect, whatever you want to use that terminology, which is only used like very little, and I wouldn't base your theology off of that, you know, really. So, okay, um, now that we haven't discovered any answers, <laughs> and we've given you more questions, that's what the whole night was about. Um, Go in peace. Do you feel the peace in your heart? Go in peace. Two weeks. We do not have next week. Spring break. Um, So I'm going to be out kind of running around with the kiddos. And then we have Easter week. And we want you all to come to the Monday, Thursday, Holy Thursday service. Please. That would be great. Huh? No, nothing Wednesday night, not even meals. No meal, no studies. So. Thank you all for the wonderful questions. Oh, good. Praise the Lord. (laughs) She did.